This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, just do it. This is episode number 31, and in this episode, I sit down with Andrew Witchie of Dancing Gnome Beer Company in Pittsburgh, PA. Andrew tells me what it's like opening a brewery at 28 years old, how he went about funding his business, and he talks about the future for Dancing Gnome. Well, I think we can all agree that 2020 has been quite the true shit show. So let's all pray that things go up from here. And if things do snap back to normalcy in 2021, I think it's only right that Andrew names one of his beers the Year of the Dancing Gnome. Just throwing ideas out there. Just saying. Anywho, I think it's time you all sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Andrew Witchy of Dancing Gnome Brewery in the Sharpsburg section of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. As most young people growing up, Andrew became very fond of beer, but his love of beer was more than just drinking it. He was more fascinated by the flavors and aromas. With that, he started homebrewing. He knew then that he wanted to venture into the beer industry. He started talking to local brewers and spending more and more time at breweries. At some point, he decided to study at the American Brewers Guild in Vermont. After that, he volunteered at the Brew Gentleman in Paddock, PA, to give them an extra set of hands. Along the way, they taught Andrew some priceless knowledge that he used moving forward. He started looking for jobs and received many offers, but pivoted his thought process towards the question what most brewers ask. What if I own my own business? That question became a reality for Andrew in October of 2016 when Dancing Gnome opened their doors to the public. And Andrew's here with me today. Andrew, thank you for joining me. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So, how old were you when you finally decided, like, this is what I want to do? I want to be a brewer. Yeah, for sure. I think um, when I kind of started, uh, I kind of started homebrewing with the uh, understanding that I definitely wanted to be in the industry. And I think I was 25 um, okay. when I first started homebrewing, but it was still kind of like, nothing like set in stone just like yeah let me get my feet wet and see if like this aspect of it is something that i want to do and then um i think i was yeah 25 or 26 when i like really went full in and did the uh the american brewers guild and then i was 28 when we opened nice when you opened in 2016 what was the pittsburgh craft beer scene like it was starting um i think you know a couple years Prior to me, uh, you mentioned Brew Gentlemen. They opened up in 2014, um, the same week as two other breweries, actually, um, in Pittsburgh. So that was May of 2014. And uh, prior to that, there were um, there were a handful. Um, there were like kind of ones that had been around for a while that kind of people would would know most about, like Church Brewworks and Penn Brewing and. Full Pint was was relatively old at that point. East End had been around since man 2004, so they were they were one of the original ones too. Um, and then two opened up in 2013, three opened up in 2014, and then no one opened up between them uh, and me in 2016. So it was um it was still kind of young. I mean, I think that it was people um, you know doing saying you know we exactly what you said you know we love beer and, and we're homebrewing and we want to um kind of go do our own thing and not work for someone else so you know but there wasn't much diversity i think and there wasn't a lot of in comparison to Pittsburgh's not a big city by any means but in comparison to other um metropolitan cities um you know even compared to something like portland maine which is a fraction of the size of pittsburgh even right um and they had 
really solid breweries that were putting out really solid quality things and, and kind of caring about the the entirety of the scene and uh, that was kind of just starting in Pittsburgh. It, it was good and there were people there and it was it was nice to be able to be a part of it but it had a, a lot of room to grow. Right, right. You're open for about three and a half years when this whole pandemic shutdown kind of hits. How did that affect you and what did you have to do to keep moving forward to keep your business yeah, so, moving? Um, yeah, it was a bummer across the board. It's, it's still a bummer uh, for, for a lot of industries. For right, us. yeah. You know, one thing, um, I think that we were very fortunate, much more so than um, a lot of other folks, especially in regards to the food and beverage scene. I think, um, it, it, at least in Pittsburgh, but I think that this probably can be extrapolated out to, to other metropolitan areas as well. But, um, you know, people... People love beer and love to support um, small breweries. So as long as you have the ability to package and get that beer into the hands of consumers, it seems like the, the craft beer industry did relatively well, right. um, especially because people didn't have anything to do except sit on their couch and drink anyways. I drank a lot of beer. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we we kind of always drink a lot of beer. but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, Yeah, so I, I think... You know, our plan from from the very beginning, way back when I was writing my business plan in 2014, was was packaged products. Uh, we opened up with cans and, and a canning line, and um, that was always a huge part of our business. Um, so the transition for us was a little bit more smooth than a lot of folks who either you know packaged limitedly or didn't package at all. Um, so so we we kind of hit the ground running. The, the ways that we changed and had to adapt was. You know, we were kind of a line life brewery. You know, you showed up on release days and you stood in line and you um, got your beers. And we kind of always operated that way just because it's what we knew. Um, and this kind of forced us to sell in a different manner. So we very quickly um, got a, a web store up and running kind of the first day of the shutdown orders and never really missed the beat. Just sold online and had people come pick up at their leisure. And uh, it was it worked out really well, and uh, it seemed like, you know, despite the, the uncertainty around the pandemic and the continued uncertainty around the pandemic, I think people uh, really appreciated it. Nice. So during the process of opening your brewery, uh, from the start of you starting to get the, the ball rolling to the moment you opened the door, what would you say is the most was the most challenging part for you? Patience, uh, as a joke, I guess, but... Um, I think I think it's a it's an amalgamation of everything. I, I think um, you know being being young and kind of doing all of this for the first time and um, dealing brewing uh, brewing especially like kind of food and, and beverage as a whole, but it's very capital intensive. Um, right. You, you got to put a lot of money up in order to be able to do it well. So um, as a young kid dealing with lots of different um, sides of investment and be as professional as possible and take everything as seriously as possible um, and, you know, set yourself up for success. It's still nerve wracking. Um, and, you know, building relationships and um, trying to, to go down the right path, it's, it's all new and that makes it really exciting. Um, but that also makes it uh, incredibly stressful. So I think, um, you know, one thing from like a true production standpoint, um, which I think is true for a lot of breweries is, the expense of certain things when you're new because you, you don't have the ability to contract, especially breweries like uh, us who focus so heavily on hop forward styles. You use so many hops and early on you don't, you don't have as much ease of access to them. Right. Um, you know, and, or you, or you have to be willing to pay the premium, which, which, you know, we always were, but at the end of the day, that means that your margins are lower. It means you got to 
really be more focused on other price points of other things if you're going to be spending 38 bucks a pound on a hop. Um, right. So, you know, now that's a lot, a lot easier because we have our contracts set in place. But I, mean, I remember when we opened um, one hop in, in like our main beer is Amarillo, and it was in 2000. Uh, I guess I was 16, yeah, in spring of 2016 when I was trying to get, like, all my ingredients in order to start brewing uh, late summer. Um, I couldn't find Amarillo. It was just absolutely impossible. That year I had a shortage, and uh, I, like, needed that hop. So yeah. I, I remember, like, scouring the interwebs and pro brew and stuff um, so much and just basically buying it buying it up at any price point that I could. Um, right, right. And at that point I had, like, no <laughs> left to even do that. I'd already spent it all, but yeah, that sounds a little bit uh a little bit stressful. I mean, I'm sure if you're trying to uh you know brew a beer consistently and uh, you're running out of the one you know one ingredient that gives its most of its flavor. Yeah, sure, and I mean that carries over to non-ingredient stuff too. But I, I would say that that's probably the most difficult aspect. It's just like the supply chain, right? Um, you know, whether it's right now, you know, there's a, there's a huge can shortage and aluminum shortage, and um, so yeah. it's you know. We're in a good spot with cans, but I know a lot of uh, a lot of people in the industry are having a really difficult time, both in in alcoholic beverage and non-alcoholic beverage. I mean, Coke and Pepsi are even having a hard time getting cans. So, right. um, you know, that's 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 something that we have zero control over that really affects the industry. Right. And how did you go? You talk about a uh, financial as like it's like a little bit of a stressful thing when you're young or whatever. I mean, even yeah. when you're older. Uh, it's a it's a stressful thing, but how did you go about funding the finding the capital to fund your business? It's kind of fun to think about it, it but you know, one thing. So, for to answer your question specifically, for for us in the first brewery, um, it was a mix of um, personal um, bank financing, and then I had seven private investors. So okay. um, the personal wasn't much; it was like my entire life savings. Um, but it, you know, was something, um, and then bank basically helped with all hard assets. So as long as they could collateralize it, they were willing to pay for it. Um, and then the rest all came from, from private investment. Um, I structured mine in such a way that there was no equity given away. So it was, uh, it was actually pretty difficult to do and find people that were willing to do it. So like the payback is kind of structured in the same way as equity, but they don't actually own any of um, the business and there's like a very specific buyout clause that's not based on the value of the business. So, um, but there was a, I actually went to CBC one year and there was a cool seminar on like business or on uh, brewery financing that kind of helped me uh, go down all those routes. But um, for it gets a lot easier when you're operational. When you're new and you don't have credit established um, and, and no kind of cash flow to, to show any kind of human uh, or personal collateral because it's not like I owned a house or anything like that. So, right. Um, there wasn't even personal collateral put up. So it was, you know, banks were only willing to give you so much. Um, and now that the business has assets, I have personal assets. Um, like our second brewery that we're building out um, was fully bank funded. So we just worked with a bank that kind of very specifically funds brewery expansion plans um and we were able to work with them and uh get the entire funding we needed to do it so that's kind of for better or worse i mean there's definitely um when you're talking large capital there's definitely benefits to private investment um and you know there's um can be issues with really 
high bank loans as well. Um, so there's there's a lot of games to play there in regards to um, interest rates and loan terms and all that stuff. But for us, it, it made sense to move forward in that direction for the second spot. Right, right. So, I mean, I know you, you probably have been in many breweries and you helped out or whatever the case is, but um, what was something when you opening your own place was something you never thought you were going to have to deal with? Oh, well, besides um, besides a pandemic, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, yeah, the pandemic for sure. But um, I, I think uh, surprisingly, even though that I, I had worked in you know retail environments prior, um, I think that the the people aspects of things, both from um, a consumer standpoint and also from an employee standpoint, uh, you know, it's different when it's like your business and you're doing the hiring and you're, you're, you know, kind of creating the, the organizational chart of things. Uh, the human component to a business is, is very difficult. Um, and, you know, I, I have a great team and, and uh, I love everybody at Dancing Gnome, but that doesn't mean that there aren't difficult times when it's such a small team and you work so closely together. Right. So I think that that's one thing that I had to um, kind of get used to doing is like being uh, an efficient and an effective and an empathetic manager. Um, and then also like from the consumer side, like if you work retail, um, like in college, I worked at Hollister and, uh, like if you want to, uh, bitch out a customer and you're having a bad day, like whatever, that person's going to be mad, but like, you're not going to get fired for it. And even if you do whatever, it's like a a small retail job when you're 18 years old. Right. But when you own, when you own the business, like every, every aspect of, um, consumer communication like matters, um, especially now, um, for, for good reasons. I'm not saying that this is bad. It's just, um, kind of a new perspective, I guess, like, um, of, you know, how you communicate things and what you're communicating both on a, um, pre-sales and a sales level. Um, and when it makes sense to, um, you know, kick someone out of your brewery for doing something that you don't know, approve of versus you, you being the one just to be having the bad day, you know? Right. So, um, I think that that was, uh, just a, something that you don't ever think about prior to it, to it being the case. Right, right. Right. As far as qualities go, what qualities do you possess that make you a good business owner? Oh man. Uh, you should ask my team that question. Um, I, I think they'd say absolutely nothing. Um, no, no. I think um, from a, I think from like the actual business side of things, I think it's just like caring. You know, I think that any anybody who who runs a good business has has possesses the ability to um, you know look at something and and understand growth and say here's where we messed up and here's what we need to do and here's how we get to here and um, do, do your best to kind of expand your mind and get out of um, your own uh, scotomas to be able to um, you know look beyond and, and grow in a manner even if it's something that you wouldn't have thought you would have done um, right. and, and also kind of you know and, and that know your limits and be able to make decisions and, um, you know, think about those decisions and weigh them, but, but make a damn decision. Um, you know, don't, don't be wishy-washy and, and sit on things because something's going to pass you by or you're going to let the world make a decision for you. And that might not be the right one. So, um, you know, sta- standing by the decision, whether, uh, good or good or bad and learning from the bad ones and, um, expanding on the good ones. Right. Right. How would you define 
success and also was there a moment for you in your business that kind of like had you stand back and be like whoa like we we've we've kind of made it yeah i think um success is super subjective i think i think some success is whatever whatever kind of um keeps a smile on your face whatever kind of has you looking forward to the next day uh and and kind of being happy in any given moment um, is is a form of success. I think uh, I think for me it's um, it's kind of exactly that. It's being able to go into work and be happy to do it and, and not drag my feet getting out of bed and um, you know. But in the same vein, be able to to leave work and um, enjoy the things that I love doing outside of work because I can tell you for two and a half to three years I did nothing but work <laughs> so right. it's uh it's nice to be able to have some perspective and take a step back and um you know fall in love with some old hobbies um that can remain hobbies and you know i'm not uh, and still be happy in, in business um i think as far as success for dancing gnome um there's i think that there's a couple times um the, the first one uh, so there's a bunch of firsts, I guess. It's, it was, uh, you know, the first the first day we opened our doors and um, being absolutely packed and, and everybody coming in. We had four beers on tap and everybody was just packed all day long. And right. just that excitement of being like, man, people are excited, to, as excited that we're here as we are to be here. Um, and then, you know, the first can release we did had an absolute line down the block and selling out immediately. It's wow. Like, oh, man. Like, That's people awesome. want this beer. And, um, you know, the first time we got invited to an international festival um, and, and building friends within the industry all over the, the country and all over the world, like um, those are those to me are times that I very much can, um, you know, look back on, take a step and be like, you know, we 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 did did well and set out to do what we what we wanted to do. And, um, you know, I feel good about that. Right. So you, you talk about like meeting many different uh, owners of brewers and brewers. Was there anybody in the industry that you've met during that time that has inspired you or has left a mark on you that that's really uh, made a difference? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a couple. Um, I think that um, Pete, Peter Bissell was one for me. Um, you know, I've. I was a huge fan of Bissell Brothers when when they first opened. Oh yeah, um, right. really liked what they were doing. Really liked the beers they were putting out. Really liked their whole vibe. Um, and I kind of reached out to him when I was working on my business plans with some specific questions, and he was was really uh, kind and, and willing to help. Um, and I think that they've absolutely killed it um, throughout you know the entirety of of, of their business and continue to. Um, I think. Um, no one specific person, but modern times, uh, okay. brewery was always kind of really important to me, um, from, um, an industry perspective of just what they were doing and how they were operating and the quality of product they put out, um, versus their, their, um, you know, growth strategy and their branding. Um, so that, that was one that really sticks out as one that I paid attention to from, from a business standpoint. Um, and then I think most, there's a lot of them now. I mean, uh, most of my peers, I, um, you know, really connect with and, and I'm able to learn from on a regular basis as I speak to them. But one that 
stands out, um, you know, as, as current. Uh, they're about the same age as us. I think they opened in April of 2016, but um, Bearded Iris uh, in Nashville. Okay. Um, the, the guys from Bearded Iris are um, just phenomenal human beings. Um, but beyond that, they're phenomenal businessmen. Uh, I love getting to have a beer with them and sit down and chat. And, um, you know, there's plenty of times where you talk about beer enough that sometimes you don't want to talk about beer. And, um, you know, we, we have that ability and, and there's also times where uh, they make it exciting to talk about beer again because they're, they're so smart and thoughtful about um, things that they do and how they run their business. So, um, yeah, huge shout out to, to Bearded Iris for uh, just absolutely killing it. Right. So what do you think is the biggest change uh, since you opened to now? What, what's been the biggest change in the industry for you? because it feels like uh, because you're in it every single day they feel like nothing, no, no change feels huge I think um, you know even though we're only four years old the the explosion of growth happened about a year after us right. so you know when we opened I think there was only like I don't know 1500 breweries in the United States and now there's like 8,000 yeah um, and that happened within the last three years so that was that was crazy kind of to see um, you know all these people um, kind of explode out of the scene and, and at all levels too which is cool and doing all sorts of different things um, I think the transition um, into grasping a market has been interesting to see um, you know of, of because there are so many breweries and there is so much beer and you need to um, you need to grasp your market and be able to maintain their uh, attention um i think it's been interesting as like you know brewers go to um like as pastry stouts came out and ultra fruit sours and now seltzers and all these these kind of beers that defy what a beer is but also have kind of become to define craft beer um so i think that that's that's been really interesting to see and um from a consumer perspective too it was like seeing what what consumers want um and and on the positive side it you know it, it grows your base like if someone's coming into your brewery because you have a um raspberry marshmallow chocolate fruited sour um maybe they're gonna then grab a pilsner in a year right. um and then you know so um there's there's a lot of people coming into the scene that way but um that's that's kind of been the most interesting trajectory to to kind of watch and see how craft beer grows for sure Right, right, yeah. So, as far as craft beer goes, you know, like people are always kind, kind of like being introduced to new things. What was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? <laughs> um, I, I, I will say uh, gateway brewery, but gateway beer uh, was probably Paleo IPA from a small brewery here in uh, Western Pennsylvania called North Country. Okay, um, they're about an hour, an hour north of, of Pittsburgh in a little town called Slippery Rock. But um, that was my first uh, intro to craft beer. Uh, was this little bar, seven barrel pub system, and um, there's a college there, and uh, I was dating a girl that, that went to school there, so I was there a lot. And uh, when I turned 21, I just started drinking at the pub because it was one of the only places there to drink. It was such a small town. Right. And um, yeah, the first beer, the first like craft beer I ever actually, honestly, the first beer I ever had. I didn't. I wasn't a drinker in in college. Um, And the first beer I ever had was from them, and it was actually a cask ale. It was a smoked bacon stout. Wow. (laughs) That was the first beer I ever had. What year was Um, this? So, what's up? What year was this? This was 
2009. Wow, interesting. Okay. Yeah, 2009. I just turned uh, 2009, 2010. Well, I think uh, smoke bacon I think beer. 2009, because I think I just turned 21. Right. Um, and it was it was like a couple of months after I turned 21. Um, and yeah, so that was an interesting experience. But uh, I can't say that I like loved the beer, but I will say that like what it did in my brain was like interesting not from an alcohol perspective but from like a flavor and aroma and like what a beverage can be i was i was a really big coffee drinker and um you know kind of loved um the the idea like the roasting idea and um what temperatures and things affect uh you know the steeping of coffee right right and that kind of showed me that like beer was the same way like it's not just like Bud Light. It's um, there's there's a whole lot to be done, um, but they their main IPA was called Paleo IPA, and I drank so much of that beer uh, right. in my last two years of college. Awesome. So I I know you said you're opening up a, a second a brewery, but uh, what's next for your brewery, and what does the future look like for Dancing Gnome? Yeah. So um, yeah, we've been working on it for a while, but uh, we are opening up a second larger space. Um, it's going to be production as well as as a new tap room. Um, we made the very interesting but conscious decision to be very close to our current spot. So um, it's exactly one block away. We're uh, our our breweries at nine twenty five Main Street, and the new one's at ten twenty five Main Street. Okay. Um, so it's pretty interesting. Um, the The reason that we chose to do it was. Um, kind of based on the size difference, um, we knew that we'd be able to, um, like basically all current production and like modern beers are going to go over to the new facility, which is much larger. Right. Um, and the, the tapper is much larger. And then the, we're keeping the old facility. Um, and that's going to kind of turn into our um, lager and traditional ale house. Um, so kind of like a, um, almost like a English pub meets a German lager bar. <laughs> cool. Um, so, so it's going to be kind of two completely different concepts, but allow us to be producing the beers um, that we're passionate about and, and want to produce um, while still being able to kind of do what, what started uh, Dancing Gnome and um, what people kind of know us for. Um, I think as far as uh, that goes, we still very much want to take care of Pittsburgh. I mean, we, we don't do much distribution at all. And I think part of the plan of growing was to be able to better distribute to Western Pennsylvania and in our county specifically to, to make sure that, um, you know, we had a stronghold in, in our town and we were truly a, a, a Pittsburgh brewery that was, and, and everyone within the county could be proud to kind of have us as a brewery. Um, and then from there kind of just expand through PA. Um, and, uh, that's, so that's the plan, um, expand distribution throughout Pennsylvania, um, and kind of stop at a very comfortable space. Um, I, I definitely do not have, uh, I'll never say never, but I do not have the desire to, um, be a huge, uh, production brewery. Um, I would be totally fine with just being readily accessible in Allegheny County, um, and having a really fun, um, you know, awesome tap room to go spend time with friends and family and other beer lovers and such. So, um, that's, that's kind of the future, um, you know, con- continued packaging, um, expanding our portfolios of beers, um, to kind of what's the thought of being like, you know, what's old is new again and going back to the beers that, that created craft beer, um, and really perfecting those while we continue to push, uh, you know, what, what new American ales are. Right. And, uh, and also you talk about, you know, you have a, you have your own podcast, right? Good, yeah. Good, but not the best. 
is the name of it. Yep. So just just yep. for people listening, and and you kind of give updates on what's going on with dancing, no, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's um, I had a buddy who I met actually through through the brewery. He was just kind of a, a regular in beer, um, loved beer, loved all beer, and uh, he had a podcast. It was like uh, he would interview very much similar to this. And, right. Uh, he kind of got kind of got burned out on it and um, wanted to continue doing a podcast, but didn't um, didn't want to continue doing it that manner. And, and I always had such a good time on this podcast, so we kind of linked up and did a did a monthly thing where it's. Partially focused on on dancing gnome, um, and partially um, we do have guests on. We'll talk about beer a lot, or you know, the food industry or the music industry, and then um, kind of pop culture stuff, whatever. It's it's really just two guys shooting the shit. It's, right, uh, right. It's not very well organized, but uh, it's fun to do. Right. Well, just for anybody listening that you know wants to peek in on what you guys are doing and, and keep up to date, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, for anyone who is trying to open their own brewery. Uh, and they came to you and asked you, what would you do? What advice would you give them? Um, I, I think I'd say uh, plan um, and be, be patient. Um, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I found is um, no matter how well you do something, there is definitely going to be delays that are completely out of your control, especially in, in this industry. So, um, it's, it's, uh, that aspect is tough, like uh, understanding the patients, um, especially if it's their first time doing it, you know, with building a second place, it's a lot easier to like have the patients cause you already had to go through it, but, um, and, and plan everything to a T. I I mean, really spend time, spend, spend months on a, on a business plan and flesh things out and talk about things and understand what you're going to do. Go to breweries, understand how they operate, find your favorite ones, find your favorite beers, understand the market, um, figure out where you want to be because, you know, the, the old adage of location, location, location isn't that far off. Um, you know, it, it is it is really important, especially if you want to be um, a taproom focused brewery. Um, it's 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 difficult to um, if you're not in uh, you know a super populated metropolitan area. Um, it's tough to get people to come you know regularly. Uh, so I think um, that's that's important as well. Is just like really understanding market uh, and and also I think. For any business, not not just that, but making sure um, it's truly the business that that it's the business side that excites you. Um, because if you, there's a big difference between being a brewer and owning a brewery, um, and neither are are wrong, and they're they're both fun. But um, just because you're good at brewing beer, or like have fun brewing and selling, does not mean you're going to have fun on the business side of things. Um, you know, a lot of people do it successfully, but I also think that there's, um, a lot that goes with it that is, needs to just be understood up front because it just sets you up a lot better for success. Right. Yeah. So did you happen to have a funny story for us? (laughs) Well, uh, I think kind of like I texted you, uh, Tragedy plus time equals comedy. So, right, yeah. um, I think the, the one beer related uh, story that I think I, I can tell, um, or that I'll, I'll try to, to tell as best as possible. We, um, and this actually kind of goes back to, to talking about Pete Bissell. Um, this was early January, February of 2018. Um, 
Bissell Brothers was curating beer for a music festival that was happening uh, up at Thompson Point, where they're they're located in Portland, Maine, and they asked us to be a part of it, and um, I was you know thrilled. Uh, it was it was awesome to be recognized by them and be invited up, and we were excited to go, and uh, so we sh- ship our beer up and we get everything planned to go up there, and um, you know our our flight. There's a big winter storm, and our flight gets canceled, and um, and I was like, "There's no way I'm not going." So, uh, me and uh, my other guy at the brewery, um, we rented a car and drove up, and we were like, "We'll just take our return flight home and drive up." So, um, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was it was really bad. We got stuck in a a really awful storm. Um, for about 36 hours, wow. and uh, we had to we had to pull off the road, um, right, right northern where northern PA meets Jersey meets New York, like right on the border. Of okay, that. it was a really small town, and uh, so we we pull off in this like one pump gas station, like this tiny tiny town, right. and uh, so other people start coming. We were probably like the second people to pull into this gas station and be like, hey, we we literally can't go any further. Right. Like our car is not going to make it. And, uh, and by the end of it, there was probably like 15 to 20 cars, um, and, you know, about 30 to 50 people somewhere in there that were at this tiny gas station. And, uh, most of them needed gas and we didn't need gas. We had already filled up, they, but the pumps didn't work cause they were like electric pumps. Uh, but anyways, the people, the people were really awesome that owned this little convenience store. It was like a family owned gas station and they were really awesome. And they basically just like let people take food from the convenience store if they needed it. And we shared beers and, um, you know, had beers in the snow all night long. And it was brutal. I mean, it was feet of snow and like the wind was absolutely ridiculous, but finally got back on the road, finally got up to, uh, Portland, Maine two days later than we thought we would and, uh, ended up having a really good time. But, um, you know, that was something in, in the moment that was incredibly stressful and dangerous, but uh, looking back on it was um, a really good memory to be able to have with 30 strangers that I have no idea who they are now. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Funny how life works out. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. <laughs> so I have this little thing called uh, Quick Fire 5. It's just five quick questions, beer related, of course. Sure. Ready? Uh, one of your beers that you'd recommend someone try? From Dancing Gnome. From Dancing Gnome. Yeah. Uh, Lustra. Uh, Infinite Highway. Uh, Not Always Present. Uh, Better Warner 2. And Wishbone. Now I take the last one back. I'm going Avon. Okay. Um, favorite brewery other than your own? <laughs> that is really, really hard. Um, I gotta go Suarez. Suarez Family Brewing. Suarez Family Brewing. What favorite style of beer? Uh, German lagers. German lagers. Hey, uh, last beer that you drank that blew you away? It is uh, actually a Suarez beer. <laughs> really? And it is uh, stands to reason. Um, it's a smoked lager from Suarez. Uh, and I, uh, admittedly am not a smoked beer fan. Um, I think many people around here will tell you that I do not like Roush beers. Right. Uh, and this is absolutely phenomenal. It is, it is just, if you are in the New York area and, and have a way to get it, um, Stan Reason is absolutely one of the best, especially loggers I've ever had in my life. Good to know. 
And you have one keg of beer to hold you over for two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? Einbecker Pilsner. All right. Well, Andrew, that's all I have for you, man. Hey, thanks very much, man. I appreciate you yeah. having me on. Thank you. Guys, I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. Here with Andrew Witchy of Dancing Gnome in Sharpsburg section of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to my interview with Andrew Witchy of Dancing Gnome Beer in Pittsburgh, PA. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check them out. Give them a follow on social media. And don't forget to take a listen to Andrew and his buddy Jaron's podcast called Good But Not The Best. Every other Sunday I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Also, be sure to check out our social media accounts for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.